Are Infinitely Loved podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Wendy. And I'm Koos. We believe that loving yourself is the key to transforming every aspect of your life. And it's our hope that these conversations bring you one step closer towards embracing this truth. About a year and a half ago, I was in a workshop where the speaker, Jeffrey Davis, asked the attendees to think about their seven, eight, or nine-year-old self, and then to pick out three adjectives to describe that little person, which I thought was weird. However, the answers from everyone were astounding. For me, the words I used to describe my young genius, which were curious, joyful, and adventurous, were not how I would have described my 35-year-old self. And that realization, or may I say reminder, was one of the most life-changing moments I've experienced. I'm so honored that we get to talk to Jeffrey today and to hear from himself about his young genius, his work with creatives and entrepreneurs through his company, Tracking Wonder Consultancy, and how practicing wonder on a daily basis is a form of self-love. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we love talking to Jeffrey. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Jeffrey. Um, To get us started, we absolutely love the question that you ask in the beginning of your podcast. And so we want to take this opportunity right at the top of our podcast to ask you the very same question right back at you. (laughs) So we want you to think back to yourself when you were like seven, eight or Mm. nine years old, when you felt the most alive and when you were the most you. Mm. And we want you to tell us what that was like. Who was that Jeffrey? (laughs) Thanks for uh, shooting that question back at me. I don't know that anybody's ever uh, volleyed the question back in my direction. It's I'll just say it's a vital question. Maybe I'll buy myself some time here too. It's a really important (laughs) question um, that um, gets at, I think, the heart of so many things. Um, This question stems from this tenet that even goes back to some classic Greek thinkers that were each born with this force of character that is unique to every one of us beyond nature or nurture, beyond poverty or privilege. And yet we forget what that force of character is, what that true nature of ourself is. And, uh, but I've found with myself and the people I've worked with that if we can remember this force of character, that it can lead us to our best possible work and contribution. So this question is a way it's kind of a vehicle to help people remember like wow what is that true nature what is that force of character that young genius so okay so now i'll now that i buy myself (laughs) some time um (laughs) uh so i grew up i often say i grew up as a poet in a texan's body so i grew up in in texas i live in new york just north of new york city now in the catskill mountains uh but i grew up in in texas and fort worth and um and I was quiet. Um, I leaned more toward the arts than athletics. And I remember just a couple of seminal times. I remember many, many parts of my childhood very favorably. But around when I was nine, um, there was this window of time when my father, he would always get these tickets to these great concerts. And he came home with two tickets to see Elvis, and this is like maybe 1972 or three. And uh, he takes me instead of my mother. <laughs> and he took me nine years old. 
we're on like row 16 center uh, center stage. And I was blown away by watching this, you know, sort of legend on stage. And then within a matter of a few months, my mother took me the same place in Fort Worth to see, um, uh, what's, what's his name? Uh, Lloyd Weber. I, I can't remember, um, the director's name, but, um, his production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, and, uh, and it was like, Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and um, so I was really mesmerized also by seeing this long haired hippie version of Jesus on a <laughs> stage right, 1972 or three. And so I came home. Um, I was practicing judo at the time. I, I, I couldn't stand the competition, but I love the costume of judo. And so I come <laughs> home and I put on this judo costume and then I play my father's Elvis records and oh i was gosh. the king of rock and roll for hours every day for months and then when i get tired of singing jailhouse rock i became jesus christ superstar putting on my mother's <laughs> albums <laughs> and so i just came completely alive i was very quiet otherwise i seemed to um i remember being in kindergarten i was the only boy in the whole school with long hair down to my shoulders and the only boy wearing psychedelic paisley pants. <laughs> so there's something, there was always something of this, I don't know, quiet rebel in me that I recall quite fondly in those times. And I was very much making my own worlds, drawing, creating stories, creating cartoons, spending lots of time outdoors in the woods, um, either by myself or with friends. And, uh, yeah, so I have generally very, very fond memories. You know, memories Jeffrey, of those I times. feel like I want to see a picture of you during that time, <laughs> but also you painted such a great picture of yourself. I can totally picture you as this kid. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, the other thing too that I remember the same age. So thank you. I'm glad I did. And, uh, you, you know, so just imagine two purely blonde hair, too, like down to my shoulders. And, <laughs> Most most of my friends' parents thought I was a girl, and I was completely okay with that too. Like it didn't bother me. But um, I remember being nine or ten, and like reflecting back on my long life, trying to remember my earliest memories. <laughs> and I was going to write my autobiography at ten, you know, but I lost the notebook <laughs> after the first week. So. <laughs> I always seem to be pondering and reflecting on you know life at ten years old. I don't know. <laughs> wow. What I wouldn't give to read that autobiography. <laughs> Me too, but I really did lose it after about five days. <laughs> what I love is that you're this inner force of character is Elvis mixed with Jesus. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two kings, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think um, what interests me about that is the so our podcast is all about self-love and people's mm -hmm. journeys with self-love. And one of the things that I love about going back to your seven, eight, you know, nine-year-old self is that it's often like, it's so much easier for us to love ourselves when we're remembering who we truly are and our kind of mm -hmm. true essence or that force of character as you describe it. And so sometimes when I, when I'm, working with clients and, and trying to help them to build their self-love, I'm always kind of going back to who were you as a kid before you kind of, <laughs> before mm -hmm. you lost that sense of, of self-love and self-worth. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. Um, 
for you, uh, what is like, what does self-love mean to you? I know that's a big question, but yeah, um, it is a big question. And, but what, what you do with your clients is so important too, because, um, I, I think there are so many things that happen as we naturally grow up and I'll often say, you know, wonder isn't kid stuff, it's radical grown up mm -hmm. stuff, but we often associate it with children because as we naturally grow up, as our brains get more complex, we develop more self consciousness. Just naturally mm -hmm. we're aware of suddenly what other people think of us at about 10 or 11 years old. And we start to develop the internal meta awareness or sort of awareness of awareness too at this age neurologically. And so they're just sort of natural developmental processes and being human that take us out of seemingly that pure wondrous state. But I have two young girls and I can say they're not always in the sort of blissful wonder, you know, either. <laughs> oh, so Jeffrey, that must be hard for you. As parents, Kus and I can't relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So um, but, but yeah, so yeah, parenting is a whole other thing we can definitely talk about too. Um, self-love is, I, first of all, I just love that you're doing this, uh, this podcast, uh, you are infinitely loved because just saying that is a reminder that we need that we're infinitely loved. And I'll have, you know, this is probably telling of me for a long time, probably when I was in my twenties, I, I probably wouldn't have responded favorably to that idea of self-love. Honestly, I probably would have rolled my eyes mm. at it. But as I've grown up and matured, uh, <laughs> I've really recognized that, oh, that is just like so fundamental um, to foster self-love. So it it's kind of meant one, it's grown to mean to me acceptance, acceptance mm. for all of myself, all of my complexities, seeming contradictions, my daydreamy intuitive self, my demanding self with great <laughs> expectations. Um, uh, so that's in part what it's come to mean to me. And self-love also um, this is this is something we work with within the Tracking Wonder community too, which is um, a sort of healthy self-regard for ourselves and a almost a self-admiration. So as we're you know as I'm working with people within our community, sometimes advancing their ideas and their endeavors, and they're really leaning into their discomfort zone and putting themselves out there, putting their ideas out there it's really important for us to step back and reflect and look at how far they've come and how they're showing up perhaps differently than they were six months ago, two years ago. And those are opportunities for them not to brag about themselves, but to admire themselves to, you know, ad admiration. I'm kind of a word geek, but admiration, mm -hmm. the root is the same as um, mirror and it also means in Latin, um, uh, mira means uh, wonder. So it's it's kind of like looking at yourself in the mirror right. again and seeing the natural beauty of yourself again and just appreciating yourself. So it's a long way of saying, I think what self-love has come to mean to me now is acceptance and 
uh, a healthy self-regard and self-admiration. So Jeffrey, I want to publicly acknowledge you one more time at how um, important the workshop you gave at Camp GLP in 2017 on wonder intervention. I think mm. that was one of the few things that started my life transformation. Mm. Where you, you know, earlier um, you talk about your younger self, your child genius. I think we, you mentioned that during your workshop, and I really tapped into my child genius. And I'm, I mean, I'm still getting emotional thinking about it because mm. it reminded me of who I truly was, mm. and just tapping into the the characters of my child genius and showing so much love to that young little coose. Yeah. And uh, I saw you posted uh, something on Facebook about one of your daughters asking you to play. And you said, <laughs> oh, I'm writing about, oh, what about, about child genius? Oh, you're writing about, about me. And then you decided to, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a break. I'm going to play, play with her. And I think that was so, so powerful. It was so multi-layered. <laughs> yeah. Well, first, thank you, Coos, for <clears throat> also taking me back to your and my first meeting. And I still remember our our deep conversation following the workshop. And um, and I appreciate that because what I've seen happen so many times is that suddenly remembering that that young genius for many of us is uh, it's discomforting at first because we recognize that we've forgotten it for so long. And it's almost, it, it's both a grieving and this beautiful recognition of that young genius that, and, you know, it's like this wondering, can we bring that self back in some ways? And you, as I've witnessed you, you have, and so thank you for for taking me back yeah. there. Um, the The word genius, if I can elaborate on this just a little bit, because I think your listeners might be, I hope they're interested. It, it's not a word that I throw around loosely. It, it comes really from the word for genius in Greek, and it comes from this idea that classic Greek thinkers would would talk about, is that, again, like we're each born with this sort of what they called a daemon or a diamon, which is which is a sort of seed beyond nature or nurture. But yet we're born forgetting it. Hmm. We forget our true nature when we're born. And it's only in certain moments, like like you had Coos at that workshop, or when somebody reflects the best in you back, or you have a some other brief glimpse to your true nature that you remember it, that you bring it back. And um, it's so difficult, right? It's so difficult for us to remember um, our true nature and our true self and then to love it, right? To put it in the context right, of, right. of your theme. I feel like oftentimes um, when I'm in session with my clients, I will have them pretend their child self is sitting next to them mm. and have a conversation. And there hasn't been a time where that person has not cried mm. over and over because it really is this grief of I've forgotten about you and yeah. um, I've missed you and I'm not sure how to take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, 
that's so healthy. I love that you, I love that you do that. And it's so important. And this is, um, you know, I, I, uh, we're beta testing behind the scenes, this tracking wonder journal that we won't make public at least for another year. But, um, one thing that we do in this journal, because this is what I do every day. And I was like, I need my own journal. So Mm -hmm. we created it. Um, Every day, uh, like one of the first things I do after the date is write down my three young genius qualities. Mm -hmm. And it's a morning reminder that I'm bringing these young genius qualities to my day, to my work, whatever I'm, whatever may come, right? Because there are always (laughs) inevitable surprises, better or worse. And so it is a way that I try to remember that best self, that, that young genius, it is sort of an act of, of, I guess you would say of, of self-love or at least bringing, bringing that quality forward versus starting off the day with a bunch of worries, which I can do also. (laughs) Jeffrey, would you feel comfortable sharing what those qualities are? Sure. Um, as a boy, you might've said I was daydreamy, um, my older sister had a nickname for me by the time I was a teenager, which was, ah, <laughs> so I was like, ah, and she would say A-H also stands for airhead. And, you know, she said it very lovingly, but, <laughs> but I think, you know, and then when I was in my twenties, my colleagues would say I was absent-minded in a loving way also. And I've since grounded down in, uh, on earth. And, and so I'm just, I'm very imaginative and I really since I was a teenager wanted to very deliberately foster that quality that I knew I had as a boy so I'm still so that young genius is still very imaginative and very has a very rich interior world and brings ideas to life and helps others do that and the second is um caring you know as a I was a boy, you know, I would have been in the highly sensitive category. Um, but I think that manifests now in terms of my caring, my caring for other people, for people one on one, um, for humanity at large that troubles me so much. I think, you know, I still get so disturbed by what we do to each other <laughs> and, uh, and, and for this planet and even for things, um, in our home. Like I, I just want, <laughs> yeah, I could say, yeah, I'm compulsively wanting things to be tidy, but for me, it's <laughs> like, I want things to also, this is at least my positive reframe. It's like, I want things to f- feel, feel cared for in this house. You know? <laughs> Lucy so, is all about a positive reframe. <laughs> exactly. Me too. And, so, and then the third is, uh, you know, I would say kind of thinking back, to that nine or 10 year old wanting to write his autobiography, I am reflective. And so I know that I'm fed when I, uh, and I'm nourished when I have time to reflect and assimilate, try to make meaning of things as well. Mm. And this is, I have to say also, you know, what's funny is you're asking me all these personal questions and it always unnerves me to talk too long for my, about myself, which is uh, I'm sure some sort of meta self-love <laughs> commentary. <laughs> you know, I do yeah. feel though that practicing vulnerability, you know, I think when you're in a field that vulnerability is really welcome and wanted, mm. 
when you're on the other side of it, it's really tricky. You know, it's, it's tricky. It's so true. Yeah. And so That's, even in yeah. this moment, um, maybe even acknowledging that you're doing a really powerful thing by sharing more of who you are in this world. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the coaching. I needed it. <laughs> because it's so true. You're holding space for somebody else. You don't want to redirect it to yourself. Yeah. And I learned that early on in my 20s, not to redirect right. to myself. So, right. 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 It's an interesting thing that um, I feel like even in my work, I really can struggle with that with, with friends. I can think about um, kind of doing therapy on my friends as opposed to sharing and, and being present. Yes. And so it's kind of like this inner switch I've had to kind of work on as a self-love practice that I can take up space and it's wanted, you know? It's so true. It's it's so, so important. So Jeffrey, as yes. someone that tracks wonder for a living, mm. Mm. I would love to know how how do you think, or do you think that you can use wonder as a tool for self-love in any way and, and what do you mean by tracking wonder <laughs> yeah i'll start i'll start there um so wonder is um it's it's been defined in so many ways and i think it's been defined in so many ways in part because of all the experiences we've labeled like love compassion anger fear wonder is kind of slippery. It's like a red fox of emotions mm. and of experiences. And it's very subtle. It's much quieter than its larger than life cousin awe. <laughs> and it's quieter than its, you know, pokey cousin curiosity. So wonder is, um, it's like a quiet disruptor of our innate biased ways of seeing ourselves and others and our world. So for a fleeting moment, as we've been discussing, moments of wonder can open you up again to seeing yourself and seeing the natural beauty and truth of yourself again. And that's true in helping you see other people anew as well. So I work with, I've worked with startup teams, helping them with their young geniuses and other wonder interventions. And they can then see each other differently because we naturally box each other in very unconsciously. And we do this anytime we're approached with a problem or even a voluntary challenge, like we're working on a project that brings us challenges. We're going to approach those challenges with unconsciously biased patterns and moments of wonder can really shift our perspective we have we can have cognitive wonder where something within our mind just has this profound insight or other types of wonder that just really opens us up so i think maybe i just answered the question but i mm -hmm. want to elaborate a little bit on wonder and self-love um because also kusa's experience just reminded me um uh, a month or two ago i was in california um at a relatively new center it's just it's beautiful it's in the Redwoods of California. It's called 1440, or sometimes it's called Multiversity. Yeah. It's a wonder, wonderful I've place. I've heard of that venue. And yeah. The yeah. Forces they do look amazing. Yeah. So it's a wonderful place. I was leading uh, a five day immersion in tracking wonder in times of challenge and change. And um, so it was pretty deep work, a very mixed group who show up. 
and men and women from age 30 to 60 something. And one person in particular, he was there. So Koos, see if this sounds familiar. He was there because his wife insisted he go. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and, Too close. Too and, soon. Too in soon. Fact, in fact, it was her birthday present for oh him gosh. to go. She said, you are going Happy for my birthday present because you're miserable. And, and so he had been in a job for 19 years. At first he loved it. And then he grew to really resent it and felt so trapped. He has three sons, different ages. And he so resisted, he told me later, he so resisted coming to the workshop. But there is so there's a particular thing that we do that actually just has multi layers with your question about self love. Um, so I'll pause here for a moment to give you my other sensibility about the self and self love, which um, I hope this is okay to kind of Please. riff a little. Bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> riff, riff. <laughs> so, okay, so um, you know, I was a resident of the Zen Mountain Monastery up here in the Hudson Valley, and so I have a little Zen sensibility. Um, and so of course, Zen kind of challenges ideas of self. And so for a long time, even in my twenties, I've had this, this sense of self expansion, like how is what's outside of me also part of myself? Okay. So there's a little mm -hmm. context for what I had them do on like day three of this five day immersion that really, really got through to this person I'm telling you about. So, um, the wonder intervention is called pause, gaze, praise. So the idea is that when you feel your mind really shutting down and you feel yourself shutting down to the world and to the people around you, you pause and you let your eyes gaze on some simple something, an object in nature or right in your office, and you just let your eyes gaze upon it and take it in. And there are certain prompts I give them to really retrain their eyes to gaze and pay attention to what beautiful, ordinary thing is right outside of them. And then to praise it first in their mind. So there are certain prompts of just really appreciating that thing, whether it's for its physical beauty, its function in the world, its relationship to other things, imaginative appreciation, and then to actually write almost like a short love note to that thing. Mm -hmm. And the way I frame it, which resonated with this person too, is like when you really love somebody, you know, and you write a love note, you, you usually identify something really particular that only you see mm -hmm. in the other. And that's kind of what they were to do for these objects. And so they're all roaming the 1440 campus and they're sitting down before like fire hydrants and tree bark and <laughs> flowers and plants and so forth. And for him, like the next day he said, I completely saw the campus for the first time. Like there was so much around me I had not seen before. And then he's like, and this morning I looked in the mirror and suddenly I saw my face for the first time in a long time. And then I saw the reflection of myself in my eye, which I just then just gazed at my own eye. And so there was 
the, there were these layers of self-love actually happening for him. And he wrote me a couple of weeks after the workshop talking about that particular experience and saying how much it's opened him up to just being present with the people and the world right around him, which I have to say is perhaps the greatest indicator of self-love is actually when we're all the more open to others and to the world around us. And maybe not coincidentally, last night um, I was reading this book about uh, kind of your calling and so forth. And there was this quotation from Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching. And it was like the last thing I read. And I thought, okay, well, this is probably going to come up in tomorrow's interview. <laughs> How appropriate. <laughs> I'll just go to bed here. Uh, but uh, the two lines are, love the world as yourself. Then you can care for all things. And that's wow. to me like that. That's it, right? Love the world as yourself. Then you can care for all things. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'll pause there. Let you guys. Yeah. Talk. Well, I think that um, that process, like if if we were to just steal your process, <laughs> pause, gaze, and praise, and apply yeah. it to ourselves, like that's a beautiful self love tool. Because you're right. If you take a moment to pause and really look at yourself, look into your heart and mm. look at who you truly are mm. and praise that person because we're so used to the opposite, which mm -hmm. is berating ourselves, beating ourselves up. That if mm -hmm. we took the time to just use that pause, gaze and praise that we could truly, yeah, reconnect to that too, that young genius and that version of ourselves that is completely worthy, lovable, deserving, and cannot be changed. Yes. And if we can see the self and the other person yes. right around us, right? And we can see the self and the, you know, the vase around us. And, and yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Be, yeah, more and so more beautiful. in my, right. um, in my talks for the people that when people don't have self love, because there's this, I guess, a lot of the vast majority of people that I meet and speak to, I guess, struggle with self-love. They, they tend mm. to have quite a lot of self-criticism or self-loathing. And, and so it can be quite hard when someone is in that place to try and be talking to them about building self-love because they, they don't have this, they already don't see themselves as worthy. So why would mm. they bother doing it for themselves. And so I've now found the in <laughs> is to explain to them how much loving yourself is then open, opening you up to be able to truly see and love other people. And that it's only in accepting our own flaws, forgiving ourselves and, and really coming to a place of acceptance of yeah, all our imperfections and flaws that we extend that same compassion and empathy to, to others and to the people in front of us. It's so important and so challenging, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. so important and so challenging. It's like, we're like, oh, that sounds so good. And then we go out into the world and we're like, oh, that person's so irritating. Like, why is that person driving so slowly? Or, you know, yeah. right? But it's, it's such a... <laughs> Right. It's, but yeah. it's still such an important reminder. And I think 
you know, this is the wisdom you three are offering on this podcast too. It's like, we just need reminders for how to be in the world because mm. otherwise we can just slip into our default reactivity. And uh, so there's one thing that we do also in these workshops that I think we did Coos, when you were at camp at the workshop is um, we practice really listening to each other, but we start by repeating mm -hmm. to ourselves, open up, don't size up, open up, don't size up. Mm. Because um, again, like we have this neurological cognitive pattern. It's just, it's natural. It's n nothing pathological. It's just, it's normal um, to size up other things and other people very unconsciously. And part of what I found in being pretty introverted and what I found in working with other people too, is that part of what keeps them from really opening up to other people is they also fear they're being sized up. And so, mm -hmm. so if they just repeat, open up, don't size up, open up, don't size up, there's this natural receptivity to just being present with the other person. It's interesting to this kind of intersection between self-love and productivity. Hmm. And so a lot of times I see this as a barrier for a lot of people. I don't have time to do this woo-woo self-love crap <laughs> because I have so much to do. Yeah. And it just seems, um, I don't know, Jeffrey, with your work, you kind of put that on, you know, you flip it upside down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I flipped the productivity piece on its head. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I feel like I um, when you get back to this place of child genius, and mm -hmm. you're making friends with this and and working out of your child genius, you light up and productivity um, happens naturally. And there's a flow that's really beautiful and you want to engage with as opposed to heads down, plow through the work, um, just get it done kind of mentality. It's so you, you nailed it. And um, really all, all of my research that I've assimilated in psychology and entrepreneurship and innovation and my interviews with people and my own experience just corroborate exactly what you say. So we're certainly in a time, right? When, in fact, I'm writing about this in my Sunday dispatch this, this coming week about the recent articles that have come out in the New York times and the Atlantic about this new version of workaholism, particularly among young formally educated, uh, wealthy men and how they're wearing their workaholism, like a social badge mm -hmm. of honor. And they're working really hard and making lots of money, not so they can work less, but so they can work even more. Mm -hmm. And I think we're in a time, this is nothing new to the United States, but it's just a different era of it. We're at a time too, when we're trying to develop productivity hacks so we can work more and work harder. And you really just articulated the essence of it, Lindsay, which is I found that the most fulfilled people, you know, productivity can be a byproduct of long-term fulfillment, like over the course of decades, have maintained some version of this young genius. You can call it all other kinds of qualities, but they have maintained this 
the sense of uh, a young genius. Um, and that manifest looks very differently for different people. And they also are ones who have put productivity in its proper place in the, you know, larger spectrum mm -hmm. of life outside of your for pay job and, and so forth. And so, yes, in fact, you know, part of the workshops uh, I've been leading called wonder interventions at work are based on this idea that it's important not just to learn to work well, but also to break better. Mm -hmm. um, mm. so, so I am, I am a hard worker, but, I, um, and I used to really value myself for being a hard worker in my twenties and thirties, <laughs> but I think I'm able because people ask me this all the time. How do you get so much done? You've got a four-year-old and a nine-year-old and a busy entrepreneurial wife, et cetera. Um, and I really do attribute much of it to learning to put things in perspective, developing and experimenting with very healthy daily habits. And some of those habits include wonder interventions or just learning to break better which as Koos alluded to, my little girl came in and gave me a wonder intervention by calling me outdoors. <laughs> and there was this internal debate, right? Like, oh, but I really, this was the time I needed to be working on this chapter on young geniuses. But <laughs> oh my gosh, this is like, I could go out there and live it. So I did. And what was funny about that moment too, is like it had just snowed. It was one of our most beautiful snows the whole season. And I went out before her school bus came and we had the best time. And then I thought, wow, you know, and Hillary, my wife, she goes cross country skiing when she gets a chance before she goes to her office. And I was like, wow. And she had invited me to go, but I was like, oh no, I've got to stay and do this work. And I thought, no, I'm going to go find my skis. And I jumped in the car and I, you know, for just 15 minutes, took a great cross country ski with my wife up the road. And I came back and had an awesome day right? no. and I got everything I wanted to get done, done. And not only that, but I did it well, you know, I did it fully present and fully alive. So yeah, it's, a, I mean, I, you know, Lindsay, I'm going to turn the mic back on you. Oh no, please I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> this is not how this works, Jeffrey. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. Carry on. <laughs> well, no, I was, I was, I was just wondering. You know, do you find, do you find it difficult to break out of your own productivity treadmill that you set for yourself? You know, I feel like I'm resonating more with when you talk about breaking better. Yeah, because I think I can get to a burnout place, and then I can break. Um, take a pause from work in an, maybe an unhealthy way. I just want to check out instead of checking in. Yeah. And so I think I'm kind of figuring out, you know, with the work I do, um, it can be really draining and really powerful and it can blow my mind, but also be heavy to carry. Mm. And um, getting to a place where I know I have to take care of myself really well before and after I engage with this work so mm -hmm. that I can engage with the work well, but also so that I'm taken care of. And I think for a long time that used to be reversed where um, everyone else's needs are more important. And then I got the leftovers. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. like, challenging that has been, you know, part of my journey the past few years 
Um, and so as I do that, I notice that productivity does increase, but it increases with joy. I show up to work <laughs> with lots of joy and engagement and presence because I have it to give. I'm not pumping a dry well. That, and, and that makes all the difference in the world, right? It's it's not, it's it's been my contention for a while. It's not what you're doing necessarily, but how you're doing mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. But like what sort of frame of mind and heart and energy and presence you're doing. Yeah, but that piece too about everybody else's needs coming first right. is, a, is a central one too. It's so important to fulfill our responsibilities without getting resentful right right <laughs> i don't know if you say the enneagram but i'm a classic two <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> i don't know what that means except you know except a, a, a dear colleague of mine swears that i'm a fellow seven he's oh. like we are we are soul brothers because you are a enneagram seven yep. you guys all all of you are like ah oh, uh-huh. so i don't know what that ah means <laughs> it's the enthusiast that's what she oh, is okay. tracking wonder it's okay yeah that's all makes sense we were wondering if you might be a nine we didn't want to diagnose you though seven now we're yeah. sizing up we're not a yeah exactly completely <laughs> um jeffrey i'm interested as as someone that works it is a creative yourself and works with a lot of creatives and artists and business artists, as you call them. Um, do you think that self-love, cultivating self-love and self-acceptance can enhance a person's creativity in any way? Oh, absolutely. Um, so when we're working with entrepreneur clients, um, even organizations or individual creatives, let's say, and they're wanting to rebrand or advance a certain project or endeavor that requires some branding. Branding itself, you know, we think of as public facing, which it is. It's public facing. We're all about branding with integrity. And so what does that mean? It means we actually start with self-knowledge. That's Mm -hmm. always where we start with our long-term clients and even some of the participants in our brand artistry labs. We start with self-knowledge. In fact, as a side note, during one of our online branding academies, somebody had taken a number of my courses, said said last year, I thought, this is so revealing and appropriate for this. She said, you know, I've noticed there's one underlying question to everything you teach. I was like, really? What what is that? She's like, (laughs) tell me me what that is. And I thought, Ah. oh. That's right. <laughs> it's always <laughs> the question. Um, so we actually start with a lot of self-knowledge that requires certain conversations, interviews, self-assessments, and other things. And through that process, however we take it with a certain client, there is then a necessary self-love, even though we haven't ever used that phrase. There's a necessary self-love or a healthy self-regard then for, okay, which qualities do you intentionally want to bring forward? Which qualities do you intentionally want to show up with um, as an organization or as an individual? Mm-hmm. And that becomes a filter for them to make sure they're not then comparing themselves to other people because part of what I found in my journey and 
coming more forward several years ago with my work, and we certainly find it with many of our clients, is that as soon as you start, you're like on this threshold of starting to put your ideas out there, and it's so intimidating to so many people, whether they're CEOs or just starting their own endeavor. They start sizing themselves up to other people and thinking, I should be doing it the way that person's doing. I should be showing up the way that organization's showing up. And that comparison really is deflating to that healthy self-regard. So if they have a healthy self-love, as you're framing it, with that self-knowledge, then they have much more confidence in that if they show up with in their unique way, with their unique persona and their unique character, that they're going to attract more of the right people for their particular brand than if they start trying to show up for what the market wants or what they think they should be doing. So yeah, yeah so that, that goes across. Um, and I've worked with numerous authors as well, and it certainly cuts across that as well, that they need a healthy self-regard, self-admiration, self-love in order for them to feel confident in, you know, sometimes listening to their young genius over their editor or listening to their young genius over a naysayer, right? You know, yeah. because, right? Because um, it's not just people working specifically on creative endeavors that are creative, like anybody who is faced with challenges every day and actually tries to find novel, useful solutions is actually creative. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, um, but absolutely a healthy self love, self acceptance is so, so important for us to be able to put our ideas out into the world, even if they flop. Right. So true. Because <laughs> yeah. what you're touching on there is almost like one of the, I guess, pillars of self-love is actually self-trust. Oh, and yeah, yeah, and having that trust to, to put your work out there because mm. you're okay with it and you accept it. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> and it's so hard. So, right. When we, um, we, we've launched people's brands and, uh, we were just noticing all of these resistances that would come up like two weeks before launch. And then suddenly our clients, we've become these very detailed editors or suddenly getting <laughs> these very detailed focus groups who were like questioning and unraveling everything we had set into place. And was like, Hmm, I think something emotionally is going on here. And so we've learned, you know, how to talk people off the bridge more or less and like, you know, it's going to be okay. And we're going to test this out. And because it is so hard really to put our ideas out there. I've just, I keep seeing that, that uh, phenomenon over and over again. Yeah. So Jeffrey, if you just talk about how to use wonder and self-love as a creative now I'm going to ask a very selfish question. <laughs> As a parent, <laughs> how do you help cultivate that in your family and your and in, in your kids? Because as you know, yeah. as, as we grow, as we grow up, we lose sense of that wonder 
And yeah, I want my my kids to always remember there's always this wonder they can always go to. Yeah, well, you're asking. It's a little unfair to ask me um, <laughs> because I do know that I live it so much that, like last year, my nine year old who was eight, like she wrote an acrostic poem for their school's literary magazine that was tracking wonder. It's like, oh, wow. wow, she just like came up with it on her own. She wrote this acrostic poem for T-R-A-C-K. That's so cool. And so <laughs> they are deep fried in tracking wonder. Like they, they so know that that's what I'm about. They really do. And, um, and it's really beautiful. And they also, I think, know that I do try to live it. I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever told my nine-year-old um, that I vowed, um, to really show up in such a way that she couldn't wait to become a grown up instead of cling to childhood. But I did when she was just a few oh, months old, a pretty hard time in my life. And um, I don't think I've ever told her that. I don't think I've had to. I think um, she is a constant reminder, daily reminder of that vow. So I'm always trying to show up um, as a wondrous human being myself. But it's also been really important to me. So my studies of this daemon, you know, took me into some pretty deep psychology, even when I was in my twenties and trying to learn just at that time, how to be, um, a good mentor an observant mentor. And I think the same thing kind of applies here, Kus, to being, um, a father, which is, you know, being observant. How old are your children? They are eight and a half. It's a test. Yeah, yeah, right. We know, this. Like, we know uh... this one. I don't know. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> How old did you say oh, they were? They're eight and a half and seven. Yeah, eight and a half and seven. So wonderful ages. So, you know, I I try to be an observant mentor instead of like a projective director. I try to observe what that innate genius energy and force of character is in both of my girls and they're very different. And, you know, everything my friends had said, like, you'll know their personality when they come out of the womb uh -huh. is pretty much true. <laughs> yes. Like the second one was so different energetically from the first one. And, you know, the second one, her name's Alethea. She is this grounded, sure-footed, like, what do you got? Like, you know, mm -hmm. I'll figure out the rules, very different energy than the older one, Dahlia. So I really try to observe where their genius is, where their propensities are, and continuously love all of those facets mm -hmm. of them. I really try. I work so hard at it. And I think over the years now, I've had nine years of practice. Um, it's not, it, it doesn't require so much effort mm -hmm. anymore. Um I think it was Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi who gave us the word flow from his seminal work in the 1990s. He writes in one of his books, it really stood out to me. He's like, you know, if you want to get good at anything, you're going to have to practice at it. You want to get good at being married? You're going to have to practice at it. You want to be good at being a parent? You're going to have to practice at it. And so I really took that to heart. So that's one thing is like just being an observant mentor and then allowing for that, allowing for that play. Um, which is also leads me to the second thing. This is not judgmental of people who don't follow this, but this is something like I haven't had a TV since the 1990s. Mm -hmm. 
Oh. And yeah, no, people are like, what? <laughs> what the? <laughs> right? What the? And what is wrong you with you? Like, we need commune? to call protective services or something. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, because the. In fact, you're the other, American? I know. What's, what is going on with you? So, the other day, in fact, the bus driver pulled me up front um, when Dahlia got on the bus, and he's like, yeah, I just want to tell you. She is the most amazing kid. She's like the best kid I've ever had on the bus. Aww. He's like, whatever you two are doing, like keep doing it. And I was, I just shrugged my shoulders. I'm like, I don't know. We don't have a TV. He's like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> so what we found is that, you know, we remove screens and we let them move through their own boredom. Mm-hmm. So when they say I'm bored, what can I do? Mm-hmm. We always put it back in both of their court. Like, I don't know. What can you do? Why don't you go outdoors? And they they just self-initiate. Like they create the most incredible games. They do things with their hands. They figure things out. Like that is wonder incarnate, right? It's <laughs> just like figuring things out and going to your own propensity. So I found those things, Coos, to be really important. Now, if you if your seven and a half year old already has a smartphone, <laughs> probably gonna have a hard time taking it away from him or her. But <laughs> oh, my word. No, they're counting down the days until they can have a flip phone. You said when they become teenagers, phone. they can That's have a flip so phone funny. and they are very pumped about that. They don't really yeah, know any different yeah. right now. <laughs> well So I I just want to say one other thing too that I just remembered too, which is to let them be in their own flow space mm-hmm. and don't interrupt it and Mm. um hillary and i when dahlia was three years old like hillary and i would alternate doing in-house creative retreats for like two or three days at a time we let the other parent be on creative retreat they didn't have to engage in like the household duties and so forth within reason and so dahlia learned early on that oh both of her parents go on their own retreat and so one time when she was three or so I went upstairs to check on her uh, and she was deeply immersed in playing. She just looked at me. She held her hand up like, sorry, I'm on retreat. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, it's amazing. So I was like, right on. Okay. You just keep going in your flow. And so they still do that. They're like, look at me. Like they'll give me the sideways glance. Like don't, don't interrupt. interrupt. <laughs> We're in flow. <laughs> oh my word. I love that. Jeffrey, we have a question for you that we've never asked a guest on our podcast before. I'm nervous. I am. Well, I don't know what she's doing. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, right. (laughs) How would you feel about becoming our parent? I just feel (laughs) a little unorthodox, but I'm just going to throw it out there. You you do what you want with that. Well, let's talk. Oh. <laughs> Seriously, that would be awesome. I would, I would love it. <laughs> Explain that one to your girls. I have three adults moving in. It's not going to be awkward. Exactly. It's a thing. <laughs> exactly. They would love it. They're like, yes, more people, more friends. All right. Well, Dahlia, you and Coos go outdoors. Uh-huh. Go build a fort. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jeffrey, you are such a delight. We've just had. I've been so inspired in this conversation. I keep feeling like I didn't take notes as you were talking, but I'm definitely going to go back and listen to all these beautiful (laughs) wisdom nuggets you've given us. You've been so generous with us. We just can't thank Mm. you enough. Yeah, it's been a delight talking with with all three of you. And and yeah, you're doing such good work. And 
as I say, it's just right. The best wisdom is just a series of reminders, and it's a good reminder that that we're each infinitely loved. So thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thanks, everyone. Before we let you go, we want to tell you about some exciting news for the You Are Infinitely Loved team. This summer, we will be holding some in-person events in Portland, Oregon. So if this is something that interests you, please come on over to our website at www.youareinfinitelyloved.com and sign up to our newsletter because we will be releasing all of the details very soon. We really hope to see you in person. That website again is www.youareinfinitelyloved.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode.